Welcome to AO On Air. This is a podcast from ActiveOps, allowing us to present you topics ranging from operations management, leadership, technology, and new innovations. Check out all our episodes on YouTube channel AOTV or with your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple or Spotify. Now let's begin. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. You're watching another episode of AO On Air, which is a podcast from ActiveOps. Uh, really excited about our, our guest here today. He's, he, he has a lot of experience in the U.S. healthcare community, uh, a lot of deep experience. So we're going to cover a bu- bunch of topics, mainly about employee engagement, but uh, really looking forward to it. Darren, welcome. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Great. You maybe maybe start today. with just an intro. Yeah. Um, again, thanks for having me on today. And uh, I'll uh, go into a, hopefully a brief intro, but uh uh, believe it or not, I've been at this uh, for about 30 years now. So I've been in the, the health plan space uh, ever since uh, starting my career. I was, I've been very fortunate to be uh, primarily with two companies that are um, about 85 years old. So um, started out my career um, w- with a regional health plan serving about a million members in the in the Midwest and really fortunate there to, to kind of break that into three areas. Uh, my first uh, Years with the with the plan, I was focusing on hospital reimbursement and contracting, which involved a lot of uh, data driven decisions, as well as uh, interacting with uh, with the uh, hospital executives and contract negotiating and so forth. And uh, that that was a great foundation for the rest of my career because I learned so much about the business and how everything worked, um, all the way from operations to uh, again provider reimbursement to uh, benefit plan administration. Um, from there at the at the same company, I was able to kind of move into a, a medical economics and analytics role with the company and was able to um, serve our healthcare management area. I learned a lot of things, again, uh, foundation being provider reimbursement and contracting, but got into a lot of the uh, early stage quality reporting and analysis related to things like HEDIS and some of the uh, Medicare STARS. I don't think it was called that then, but um, some of that sort of reporting and analytics. And that was departmental for for probably the middle part of my career and really got a a great opportunity at the end of that to create an enterprise data management and analytics area where we, from the ground up, built a a award-winning enterprise data warehouse and the analytics that sat on top of that, and uh, um, which really led me to my uh, second company, you know, 20 years with the original company. And I was given a golden opportunity to take what we had built inside of that company as far as an analytic product and, and consulting service to the commercial market. So after my um, time there, I was able to, to um, work with a, a new startup, which was uh, um, founded by my original health plan and, and for five years um, sold our platform to not only health plans, but provider organizations and so forth. It was a combination of claims as well as consumer data and um, getting into a little bit of the EMR data as far as integrating that all together and, and making uh, sense out of this complex healthcare landscape. So that that was a great opportunity uh, with, a, with a much smaller company, went from a 1200 person company to uh, leading about 30 and uh, being on the road from coast to coast, uh, uh, doing everything from sales and, and marketing to uh, product design and so forth. So a wonderful five years. And uh, after that, I, I uh, Briefly, uh, had my own consulting company, and one of my clients ended up being a, another health plan that served about two million um, federal employees in the dental and medical space. And 
lo and behold, as I was consulting there, um, the opportunity came up for the uh, chief operating officer um, position for that company. And it was an opportunity that I couldn't resist and and really look forward to getting back to uh, the health plan operations, which was kind of my background um, from, from early on. So given that uh, wonderful opportunity, um, again, it was a, a company that was uh, 80 plus years old and been doing a lot of, a lot of uh, really great things from a growth standpoint and serving a niche market uh, members coast to coast, again, about 2 million in the dental and, and medical plans. And um, about a year into that, I was actually given a, a greater opportunity to become CEO of that company. So that is probably what I'll focus mostly on today when you ask uh, some questions, but it gave me a great opportunity to not only see the uh, ground floor operations, but also transition from a COO role into a CEO role, which was uh, was a, a privilege and and uh, a definitely different roles. And I, I I enjoyed them both. And I think we'll get into some of that as we go on. So that's, that's yeah, excellent, um, excellent. That's my background. Yeah, that's that's a great perspective too, because you 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 were in the operations side and then you kind of oversaw it all, which leads me to my first question. Really, is I mean, a healthcare a plan a payer in the U.S. Uh, there's so many moving parts. There's so many elements. You've got your members, you've got your physician providers, and then you've got you know your your employees, and it, it, that there's just a lot of complexity there. So, uh, you know, with that many constituents, how did you? figure out how to balance all those things because they sometimes compete with one another in the mind space, but they're, uh, they're all important, equally important. Well, I think what you're mentioning is one of the greatest opportunities that almost any health healthcare company, at least health plans that I've been uh, directly inside of as well as consulted with, which is um, integration. I mean, integration is key and really is a requirement for survival now, probably not so much if you set back the clock 20, 25 years ago, um, and, and the reason I really reference that the two companies that I've been with the longest have been around for 80, 85 years is there's a lot of what I would call um, siloed uh, thinking as um, you find companies like that. And the, it's not unique to the companies that I work for. It could be a brand new startup that has silos this, the next day because I, I consider this more of a cultural battle than it is uh, process or technology. So, um, you know, I found myself um, again, I'll focus most of my responses on my most recent corporate experience where I was a COO and then the CEO and, and really um, found myself um, as COO of a company of about 1,500 employees that had been around a long time serving in a niche market, 2 million members, but um, really a lot of silos. The company was operating uh, very efficiently. The uh, Every every one of the fifteen hundred employees understood the purpose was to serve the members. You know, so there was a lot of great things. It was a, it was a very um, wonderful environment, great people. But uh, very clearly, even though they all knew the the mission, which actually wasn't the mission posted on the the wall, but the mission to serve employees was there. Something you can't create overnight. So the the foundation was really great, but they were operating in a lot of silos and. Um, Literally, you mentioned some of the constituents, whether it be provider, employee, member, uh, and so forth, but I'll throw also in their vendors. I mean, I think there was, you know, hundreds of different vendors that we were having to integrate and so forth. So it was it was really, again, again siloed. And the, the challenge, I think, that we wanted to overcome is how do you make the siloed organization more integrated and actually simplify a lot of things that were going on so that you could... Um, 
kind of go slow in the beginning to go faster in the end and and move forward into into uh, a world that actually is changing more rapidly each each and every day than it is 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 now yeah yeah so I think that, that was our main obstacle yeah I think that word simplification is something a lot of yeah. a lot of companies lose sometimes they 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 not because they mean to, but they just build in so many different processes or, or things that then they lose sight of that. But but well, the economy right now is getting a little complex, and you've got you know both individuals and companies looking at alternatives. We, we you're seeing inflation, you're seeing high prices, you're seeing you know unfortunately some layoffs, um, and gosh, everybody's probably worried about their four hundred one k in the U S. right now. So there's all these elements. So what? When you were when you were CEO of an organization that big, what was your strategy or tactics to say, "Hey, everything's going to be okay. We're here for you. We're going to get through this together," kind of thing. And and I think our our, our key to success in that um, realm was what we did before it happened, before the pandemic happened, before the economic um, downturn, and it was um, great timing for us. And I don't know that we we meant for it to be great timing, but. We actually did a tremendous amount of work on mission, vision, and values um, before um, this happened. We we addressed things like diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, up front, and and so forth. And really, um, something I'll never regret. It's not something that I did as a COO because at that at that point I was more focused on getting an ERP system in place and a, a lot more of the you know how do you clean up maybe the process and the technology. As as I mentioned, as CEO, the company had such a great foundation of values, but those values um, really needed to be refreshed. The mission needed to be refreshed. The vision needed to be refreshed. And when I say that, simplification really comes in mind. I, I could not repeat what the mission was when I got there because it was two or three very long sentences. And so we went through a process and created a very simple mission statement of uh, you know what we stand for. And it was very short. Everybody could remember it and, and state it. We, we created a vision statement that uh, is really kind of a little bit longer, but outlined what we wanted to to strive to be as a company in five, 10 years into the future. Yep. And most importantly, we we reestablished what our values were. Um, I think most any company these days have values that are posted on the wall or they created or whatever. And I would really encourage companies to live those values. In fact, we had a program after we got them finished called, it was the love program, which stood for live our values every day. And um, that was really, uh, again, ahead of the economic or the pandemic uh, um, issues that faced us all yeah. by really establishing those and not just creating them and putting them on, you know, on a shelf or on, again, a poster on the wall. We integrated everything we did from communication to decision making by referencing those values, by referencing that mission. And um, I, I can cannot underestimate or can never overestimate the value of communication. And, you know, I was always a very analytic thinker and thinking, well, I've communicated this once, that's enough. And and really, it, it's really basic stuff. It, and, and what we did, I think we did very well. I had some great team around me to, to help with this because I think communication is a lot of times something, you know, myself, even as somebody who procrastinates quite a bit, you don't always get to the communication. So we had a great team that could work together um, made sure that there was a tone from the top, a CEO communication that was pushed out every two weeks, regardless of what was going on. And it wasn't just about what was going on. That's fine, but tell them what, more importantly, tell them why. Yeah. Link it back to the mission, link it back to the, the, the values, the do's and the don'ts that we expect people to, 
to follow and behave by and um, repeat, repeat, repeat. If you think you've told somebody once, um, yep. that's fine, but it really takes a lot of repetition to get to get that going. So that was really the first component in the foundation, the exciting part. And again, the company was really in good shape already from that perspective because the core values were there. We just needed to articulate them, simplify them, and get everybody on board with what that really meant. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, so let's let's stay on this employee engagement side of things a yeah. little bit because, you know, when, when I see a health plan, we hear about it all the time. You've got these peaks and valleys of work, right? You've got uh, open enrollment is well yeah. known as a very busy time for payers, and um, and then you may have just a higher claims volume coming in December because of yeah. people wanting to use up their deductible, or if they've already hit their deductible, they want to get the, through mm-hmm. other procedures. So. How do, what was your strategy to balance that? I mean, because if you have one of those peaks or you have one of those valleys, what, yeah. what, what, how did you plan for that? Well, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it is a problem um, to, and an opportunity for, for um, that seasonal type of, of uh, work that's inherited at a health plan that you have to overcome. And really, I'll, I'll take it back to a couple of our values at the, that time was one team and a growth mentality. So, uh, Two examples I would give, and you actually already mentioned them, you know, in, in the fall, there was an open season where we would take on 90% of our new enrollment. And and uh, we were covering uh, basically every zip code in the United States as far as sales and marketing. And you you can't employ a, a full uh, sales force um, 12 months a year to to cover the United States when you're, you're really your marketing, your, I'm sorry, your sales period is really a four to five week period. So we would actually train... Um, hundreds of employees in the organization to step out of their current role for a couple of weeks and and uh, go out and become sales representatives, um, you know, across the nation to, to sit at the booths and explain our benefit plans and so forth. And um, people really actually, um, that, that was happening long before I got to the company, but I always thought that was a, a really key ingredient, ingredient and something that was really important when a customer service representative or a claims representative or somebody in facilities or some, you know, like that was kind of that one team mentality and, and everybody was uh, proud of the company and how we serve those members. So that was, that was one way there. The other, the other side you mentioned is, you know, when you get all that new enrollment and January comes around and guess what happens? You get, uh, you know, epic, uh, uh, pandemics and flu season and so forth. And, you know, a lot of that, um, we did that, you know, a couple of different ways, kind of that one team mentality where where obviously the operations areas were cross-trained between uh, customer service as well as claims, but also, you know, working with some of our vendors I referenced before, which is to have that overflow capability, yeah. which um, is an interesting uh, cultural thing. If you, if you, if you start looking at um, working with outsourced vendors to do things, um, it kind of gets back to communication. So that's fine to have that as a backup plan, but what happens if you don't wrap the right communication around something like that is you have this wonderful thing called the grapevine at these companies and all of a sudden, (laughs) wow, if they're outsourcing um, this overflow work, what am I gonna lose my job next year because this is more efficient? And so I'm not not here to say, we, we actually did make some very difficult decisions about outsourcing some things that most companies had outsourced 10, 15 years earlier. And you just have to do that to stay competitive. But at the end of the day, if you don't get back to that communication and what you're doing, and more importantly, the why we're doing it, yeah. um, I guess don't let people kind of create their own version of the truth because I think that's very damaging to a company. And again, sometimes the news isn't good. Sometimes the news might be exactly what they're thinking, but like at least if you tell them that, 
yeah. and are authentic about it and treat them like humans and and uh, adults and and kind of move forward, I can tell you that it's a much easier uh, path to take. It's not always the um, I kind of learned um, along the way that if the if the the worse the news is, the more you need to be um, face to face and visible. So um, we would do a lot of communications written um, throughout the year. Um, but if it's something that was, um, you know, that might be taken negatively, that's when we actually said, you know what, this needs to be a video or in person. So we would we would actually lean into um, the type of communication we had to do and try to make it more, you know, face to face, eye to eye if it was bad news versus yeah. was yeah. good and, and not hide from it. And that made uh, a bigger difference than I could ever imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So so when we think about if, if you let's, if we think about the employees, you've got. Mm-hmm. You, you, everybody always has those star performers. You yeah. kind of have low performers, and then you kind of have everybody else in the middle. It, from a strategy perspective, I, I, I know everyone mattered, but how do you how do you yeah. manage kind of that expectation to keep make sure you keep the rock stars, but you also want to yeah. develop others, right? Yeah, and that's that's a challenge I think every every company has. And and uh, you mentioned engagement earlier, and for many years now, I've really. Um, Use the and I know there's a lot of different engagement surveys out there. I've actually just kind of enjoyed the the Gallup survey that that is out there. It's a 12 question survey, so it's not a lengthy survey, and it kind of gives you everything um, you need to know as far as how to tackle engagement and keeping people involved in your company and moving forward. And you know, it's asking questions like, you know, do they know what's expected? Do they have the right tools all the way to the end? Are they proud to work towards the mission? Do they understand their work and how it connects to the mission? Do they understand the strategy of the company? And we really, um, in my last uh, corporate role as CEO and CEO, that was the opportunity I had with a large group of people, 1,500 people to really deploy that uh, through the enterprise. I've done it departmental and things like that before, but we were able to use that as a foundational tool to not only, um, as you said, kind of deal with our talent, but, but but move the needle on engagement. The first, the baseline, uh, first time we took that, we were at the 31st percentile of, of engagement. I mentioned those silos and things like that before. So not everybody really felt connected. And uh, two years later, which was the third time we took the survey, we had moved to the 86th percentile on the wow. Gallup scale. So I was really proud of that. And I think the word proud is something too that overflows to um, every employee in the company. And, and if you can get people kind of... Um, in the game, right? Not disengaged yep. Yep. Um, and, and move forward. So one of the biggest gaps we found in that exercise, the survey, the data, was that we had a really highly engaged executive team because everything was new and fresh and we had a new team and and we were able to create a new mission vision. So there was a lot of excitement and engagement at you know the top 12 to 20 people in the company. We had pretty decent engagement levels at um, individual contributor level throughout the company. Our biggest gap in engagement was um, kind of the middle management layer, which is is catastrophic when you think about it, because it's like, oh, we could we could be at the executive level and I'll be, you know, singing the same tune and everything and thinking we're doing the right job and cascading communication. And there's this huge gap in the middle. And so we saw that as as the biggest opportunity for improving our engagement, because that group is the glue that holds holds everything together between where the work is done. And the decisions are made at the executive level. So, so we really um, honed in, and, and it's not the same answer for every department, for every right. you know, like so. We use that data to 
to not uh, be punitive at all, but like, where's our opportunities? Where's our biggest opportunity for, for getting people in the game and getting them engaged? And that's, we, we put a, put a, put a lot of uh, corporate objectives around improving those engagement scores as, as opposed to satisfaction. Engagement is very different than satisfaction. Satisfaction, I believe comes later as you engage and, and, and get people really um, understanding what this company is all about and being proud of it and wanting to come to work every day. And, and, and doing a lot of things to, to to not only do that piece, but just, you know, back to circling back to your other question about how how employees feel during an economic downturn or during a pandemic. People are spending a huge amount of their life at work. Yeah. Right. So if they feel like like that, that, that that's a place where they can engage and they can feel safe and they can, um, you know, really participate in that and and not be like that's the drag that all of this other stuff is impacting them personally you know maybe their spouse was laid off during the you know there's there's so many different things going on outside of work but they're spending a huge amount of time so the safer and more encouraging you can make the workplace i think the the greater impact from a positive standpoint you have on their lives in, in total and i think they i don't think i know they really appreciate that and and again, sometimes the news isn't always that great, but, yep. you know, authentic, genuine, um, frequent and concise communication really helps resolve that as well. Yeah, it's interesting. So, so my last two questions on on, mm-hmm. on this, I think that middle management layer that you talked about, I think that mm-hmm. that's an interesting opportunity and, and challenge. The other is uh, kind of the notion of balancing performance and well-being. So maybe we start with that one. So through the pandemic, you know, you know, our technology can provide data that shows what people are doing, what they're working on, how, how, how much output they had and things like that, which can be conceived as big brotherish, right? Mm-hmm. But there's something about that transparency layer that allows the employees to be richer in what they're doing as well as the managers. But it's it, to tie it back to your question, that middle management, if they interpret that data poorly, you have a big yes. problem, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and uh, I think that might be the group of, of employees within the company that a lot of times are most ill-equipped. A lot of times managers became managers because they were good at their job and yeah. maybe they didn't have the best um, training or maybe they didn't really want to be a manager, but there wasn't a good career path otherwise. So um, there's a lot of different reasons people become managers or are managers and so forth. But again, I think that might be one of your biggest opportunities, especially with the tool tools that active ops have, which are incredible tools as far as monitoring that efficiency and performance. And I completely agree. And I know you and I have talked about this a lot already uh, in the past, which is these can't be punitive uh, in in nature. It has to be um, data for, um, you know, either the managers or the employees themselves to actually, um, it it shines a light on the opportunity for innovation at the desk level for manage to actually say, you know what, this this person's highly productive, but they don't necessarily work the same way this other person works. What's going on there? Can they learn from each other? Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of the things I talked about in the beginning of our, our uh, podcast here actually fits that. I, I always, um, I think I've learned more and more as I've gone along. If you don't address the cultural issues up front and try to try to fix something with technology or process, I, I think you have a less likelihood for success. And yeah. so um, it's, it's not, it's not always again about the solution because there's a tremendous number of great solutions out there, but if you don't manage for the change and the culture um, again, I think the success rate is diminished dramatically. 
Yeah, it's it's good advice too. Thank you, thank you for that. I, it's an interesting perspective because we've got new opportunities and new challenges yep. that are ahead of us, right? So remote working is is right. good for a lot of people. It's maybe right. bad for others, and, and and enabling an organization to say, well, what's right for the employee, what's right for the company, and finding that balance is is really yeah. a challenge. So that's that's awesome. Well, um, Darren, if somebody wanted to pick up the conversation with you after after listening here, how how, how best to find you? Well, um, and I'm on LinkedIn, so that's probably a, a, a great way to do it. And uh, also, um, I don't know, Michael, if you feel free to share um, my contact information with anybody who'd like, like to talk. I, I uh, again, have been doing this in some fashion or another for about 30 years, and I, I enjoy the healthcare space. Uh, and I think I equally enjoy the um, culture and, and people space as much. And I think a lot of that is applicable beyond, you know, across all industries. So I, I think um, as my career progressed and, and I moved into that that CEO spot, I, I really um, relish and enjoy the um, aspect of building teams and um, kind of just using the lessons that I've learned over the years to, to help companies move forward in a, in a more positive yeah. manner. And, and that's great. And that experience can, can certainly help uh, you know, new managers coming up too. We, we're seeing yeah. a whole generation of, of course we are, but we see yeah. a generation of different types of workers coming into the marketplace. Yeah. So that's that's great. Well, thank you very much, Darren. Yeah. And for everybody watching or listening uh, on the, this podcast, we encourage you to go to our AOTV channel on YouTube. You can look up more episodes of this podcast. You can also see other videos or you can go to activeops.com. And one important element that will flash up here after this is a QR code. We've uh, recently done a study with over a thousand senior leaders around the globe and what they see and what they are anticipating during the recession. So it's an informative, expert driven uh, research paper and it's a free download. So feel free to go go click on the QR code and make that happen. So Darren, thanks again for joining everybody. Have a great day.